We are in Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've been looking at what he says to husbands and wives in recent weeks. And this week we're going to look at the relationship between parents and children with the emphasis on children obey your parents. Before we read that though, I want to read a really good example from the Old Testament of really children not obeying their parents and the consequences of this. It's the story of Eli's wicked sons. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we're reading from verse 12 to verse 29. Let's hear the word of God. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with his three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and it took him and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? The sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with men. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says, Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves in the choice parts of every offering? made by my people Israel. Why do you honour your sons more than me? And then just those few verses from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. We give thanks to God for these readings from his holy word. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we now give our minds to your word. And we pray, dear Lord, that each and every single one of us would take to heart what we're hearing. Lord, that there would be no sense that what we're hearing is irrelevant to us. There would be no sense in which this is for somebody else, not for me. 
but rather, dear Lord, that we would hear the voice of our Heavenly Father speaking to his children. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I was saying, for the last few months we've been thinking about what the Apostle, the Apostle Paul, has been saying to us about practical holiness, a holiness that goes with us from our homes, not just to church, but to our work, and to school, to college, to time spent with our friends. And most recently of all, we've been thinking about what this means for marriage. What difference does being a Christian make to how husbands and wives should relate to each other? And actually the answer is it should make all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Because being a Christian impacts on every aspect of our lives. There is no area which remains untouched. Not even in our most private, intimate relationships. The Apostle prefaces his discussion of spirit-filled relationships in chapter 5, verse 21, where he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are those within our lives who have authority over us, to whom we are to submit, either by dint of who they are or the office that they hold. And to wives, Paul says, Submit to your husband as to the Lord. A Christian wife demonstrates her love for the Lord by submitting gladly to the headship of her husband. In verse 25, the Paul, Paul speaks to husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. A Christian husband demonstrates his faith by loving his wife with the same kind of sacrificial love that Christ had for the church, remembering that he died for her. Well, now then, as we go into chapter 6, we come to the parent-child relationship, and children are told to obey their parents. This is how a Christian child demonstrates that he or she is a Christian, a spirit-filled child, walking in the light of Christ, will obey his or her parents. And likewise, Fathers, and note that the primary responsibility lies with fathers, although mothers are not excluded. Fathers are told, do not exasperate your children. Any father whose heart's desire is to reflect the fatherhood of God to his children will do all that he can so as not to exasperate his children. Or as the authorised version puts it, to provoke them to wrath. He will do all in his power to make obeying him Easy. Easy for his children, even a joy for his children. And if not a joy, then at least, obviously, the sensible thing to do. Paul's saying to fathers, your overarching aim for your children is that they should come to know and love the Lord Jesus as their saviour. And everything a Christian father will do with his children, for his children, to his children, has that goal in sight that they'll come to know the Lord Jesus for themselves. So, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at these four verses quite carefully. This week, we'll look at the responsibilities of children, whatever age we are. And next week, we'll look at what the Apostle says to parents, and specifically to fathers. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is this, that it is significant that the Apostle addresses children at all. Now, certainly the word uh, children there, it doesn't necessarily mean young children. 
All of us, no matter what age we are, are somebody's child, as long as our parents are alive. And so the command to honour our parents does not expire when we leave home. But I would say that, based on this really rather simple observation, that what the Apostle says to fathers about bringing up children in the training and instruction of the Lord, I think we can assume that the Apostle does specifically have in mind children who are still growing up, children who are still at home, children who are still learning and still dependent on their parents. So here's what I think is significant about this, that the Apostle is assuming there will be children in church. He is assuming that there will be children listening to his letter. He is assuming that the children will be paying attention to his teaching. So rather than regarding what Paul says here as another tool in the adult's toolbox of hammers and nails for keeping their children in their place, we should first and foremost see this passage as an affirmation of the place of children in the church. Paul is treating children as an integral part of the church family. They have rights and they have responsibilities too, along with husbands and wives and parents and masters and slaves. Children are included. That's why in our own practice, we have the children with us at the start of a morning service. They worship with us in the opening praise. Only then do they go off to Sunday school for age-appropriate teaching. I know that some people don't like the fact that children leave after about 15 minutes or so and they say, oh, it's just like dismissing them and sending them away. Um, and I know that some people would prefer an all-age service every week. Well, I'm certainly open to children staying longer with us, but I am resistant to perpetual all-age services. I don't think that's fair on the children or the adults. And should you visit a modern school, you'll realise that educational techniques have moved a long way. They've moved on a long way from when we were at school. We can no longer expect children to sit attentively in rows for an hour. Uh, they don't do that during the week. I don't think it's fair to ask them to do that on a Sunday. Personally, I think we probably get the balances a bit right. But my point is that the very fact that Paul addresses children means that he expects families to be in church together. And he says then, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And it's as straightforward as that. Children, are to obey their parents. Why? Well, Paul actually identifies three reasons. Three reasons. And the first is nature. Just nature. Children obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, he says. For this is right. The very nature of things shows us that children ought to obey their parents. I was reading a story about a group of young elephants which were taken from the Kruger National Park in South Africa to a reserve elsewhere, not far from Sun City. And before long, this small herd of young elephants had become delinquents. They were ripping up trees, they were attacking tourists in their cars, they were threatening the rangers. And the reason behind this aggressive behaviour, which actually led to one of them being shot, was that they'd been taken away from their parents too soon. They were too young. Now, if young elephants, it seems, if they do not have a role model to follow, they become violent as they develop. That's the nature of things. That's the way nature works. Well, you don't need me to draw comparisons between elephants and human beings. As youngsters, we believe that our parents are bound together in some conspiracy to spoil our fun. Every don't do this and don't do that is just further proof that our suspicions are right. 
When we're young, it's hard for us to appreciate that actually it's all about love. It's all about the love for us. Friends, the entire fabric of society is based on the premise that everyone must obey certain rules for things to run smoothly. So whether it's respecting other people's property, uh, it's theirs, it's not yours, so you can't have it. Observing the highway code. We drive on the left side of the road, not the right. Turning up for work on time. We are expected to obey the rules. Society needs us to obey the rules. And when we don't, things go wrong. But it doesn't come naturally, does it? Obeying rules doesn't come naturally. We have to be taught. And we have to be taught from the very start. We have to learn not to grab. We have to learn to share. We have to learn to think of other people's feelings. And if we do not learn these fundamental rules from the very start, boy oh boy, we're going to be in for a rough ride when we grow up and we go off into the big wide world. We'll struggle at school. We'll struggle to keep a steady job. We'll struggle to make and maintain meaningful relationships. I don't think it's too much to say that children obey your parents is the bedrock of a healthy society. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul describes the consequences of humanity having turned their back, our backs on God. He says, Romans 1 verse 29, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent new ways of doing things. They disobey their parents. It's all there in one go. A generation which despises its parents is a generation that's in meltdown. Obeying our parents is the natural thing to do, isn't it? And every culture throughout history has recognised this. It's a natural thing. It's a natural way. The second reason Paul finds for giving children this instruction is the law of God. The law of God. So first of all, you have nature, but then nature is supported by the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and mother. Paul quotes it. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is the first of the commandments which deals with what we might call the horizontal dimension. You know, the first four are all about a relationship with God. That we must not worship any other God but the true and living God. That we must not make an image of him. That we must not take his name in vain. That we should observe the Sabbath day. Only then come the commandments which relate to how we relate with one another. And I thought to myself, what, what would we, if it was left to us, what would we have put first? If we were writing the commandments about how we relate to one another, which would we put first? Which would be the most important rule in, in person-to-person relationships? Would it be the sanctity of life? Do not murder. Would it be the sanctity of marriage? Do not commit adultery. For God. It's how children treat their parents. If we do not learn to treat our parents with respect, our parents who feed us and clothe us and protect us and nurture us, how will we ever learn to respect anybody? Anyone else? The word honour, of course, includes the idea of obedience, but it carries far more weight than simple mechanical obedience. To honour someone is to reverence them, is to hold them in high regard. When we honour our parents, 
We are thinking, thinking of ways of showing them love. We pray for our parents. We spend time with our parents. We do not demean our parents. We do not embarrass our parents. Rather, we defend them and we praise them. To obey them is not a drag. It's not something that we don't like. Because we actually trust our parents that they have our best interests in mind. So vital is this command for the well-being of God's people that the Old Testament law actually decreed that a disobedient, disrespectful son should be put to death. Did you know that? Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 and 17, we're told that a child who attacks his or her parents or curses them must be put to death. It's the same in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through to 21. It says, if your son is stubborn and rebellious and will, will not listen to a word you're saying, the people of Israel were told to go to the elders, and this is what they were to say. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. That is what Eli, the high priest, should have done. We read that story of his sons. Wicked men, the Bible calls them. Priests, yet with no regard for the Lord. They were greedy. They were immoral. They were abusing their holy office. They were a disgrace. And what lay behind that? I want to suggest that the root of the problem was their father's weakness. He tries to correct them, but they did not listen to their father's rebuke. They despised the old man, and they despised the God that he served. And that's why the Lord had to rebuke Eli. Why do you honour your sons more than me? Goodness me, honouring your children more than the Lord. And the result was that the Lord removed the priesthood from Eli's family. His sons were killed in battle. And you know the story. When Eli heard of this, he dropped dead. If only Eli had obeyed the Lord rather than indulging his wayward sons. Now, of course, we might laugh at the suggestion that rebellious children should be stoned. You might think, there's not going to be any children left if we did that. But you see, that's the point. All Israel will hear of it and will fear We've got ourselves into such a state that the idea of condemning rebellious children to death is rejected because we think to ourselves, there isn't going to be any children left. Of course, we don't live in a theocracy. We don't live in ancient Israel. In those times, we cannot implement the Old Testament law. But do you know that since 2020, the defence of reasonable chastisement has been removed as a defence to parents who smack their children. No matter how bad or dangerous your child's behaviour, if you physically hurt a child, a smack, a scalp, a slap, a dict, whatever you call it, you can be arrested for assault. So rather than the state supporting a parent who takes the responsibility to discipline their child seriously, the state criminalises such behaviour. Well, I think we're going to reap what we sow. I think the well-being of society is at stake in this. Teachers can't teach. 
They spend much of their time actually dealing with students who bring the chaos of their home life into the classroom. Neighbourhoods are terrorised by gangs of children who commit crime with impunity because they know the law is going to treat them with kid gloves. Now the converse of that would be that when we honour the commandment, we obey the commandment to honour our parents, God honours us. And notice how Paul flags up the promise that is attached to the commandment. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, that promise uh, is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. And it reads there, So that you may live long, and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So that was a promise to the Israelites, that those who honour their parents, their prosperity in the promised land is directly linked to that, to obeying that commandment. And what Paul is doing here is he, he is applying that promise to God's new covenant people. So it's not that a dutiful son or daughter is guaranteed you're going to live a long life. But what it does mean is that if you want to live under God's blessing, we should be obeying that command. And it's a great joy to me when I can say to somebody, eh, perhaps actually at their parents' funeral, we have observed that you have honoured your parents, your mother or your father, that you have honoured them just as the Lord has commanded and therefore, the blessing is yours. So we've had nature, we've had law, and thirdly, grace. Why should children obey their parents? Not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because the law of God commands it, but because we're Christians. Because we're Christians. <clears throat> children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. When we obey our parents... We are obeying the Lord. It is part and parcel of our discipleship. Now you know we're not told much about the Lord Jesus' childhood. We are told this in Luke chapter 2, that after his parents found him in the temple, debating with the teachers of the law, we're told, then he went down to Nazareth with them, and he was obedient to them. He was obedient to them. Friends, those of us who are in Christ will be characterised by the same spirit of obedience to our parents. And I think there is a, there's an evangelistic element to this. I've mentioned that in recent weeks about the institution of marriage and how it is one of the primary illustrations of God's relationship to his church that a spirit-filled marriage accurately reflects God's love for the church and the church's devotion to the Lord. There's an evangelistic element to a marriage. Well, I think it's the same with children and parents. Again, to quote from Deuteronomy, this time Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31, where the Lord talks about how he cared for the Israelites in the wilderness. And he says there, Deuteronomy 1, verse 31, There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. And again later on in Deuteronomy 8, verse 5, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And of course when we come to the New Testament, the Lord Jesus teaches his disciples to pray to God as our Father in heaven. So the way we treat our parents betrays what we actually think of God. And in a day and age when disrespecting your parents seems to be almost compulsory, 
as Christian children, whatever age we are, as Christian children, we have the opportunity to be distinctive, to show that we are different, to show the world that we are different. Now the question can arise, what happens if parents are not Christians and they want to involve their believing child in something that conflicts with their faith? And that's a very difficult situation to be in. Because the command is not only for Christian children of Christian parents, it is a universal command. So we might find that a Christian daughter, for example, feels called to the mission field, but her unbelieving parents are dead set against it. To their mind, she's throwing her life away. It might even be that they expected her to be their, their primary carers in their old age. Likewise, a father might expect his son to join him in his business, but the son knows that this will mean working seven days a week, morning, noon and night, no time for the Lord's work, never mind time for the family. Weddings can be a source of conflict. So you have a young Christian couple and they want a lively, upbeat worship service with lots of praise songs and, and they want their minister to use the opportunity to preach the gospel to their unconverted relatives but their parents, they're wanting something more traditional. They're maybe even embarrassed by their children's plans. They don't want the wedding to be talked about by their friends for years afterwards for all the wrong reasons. And then of course think too about converts from Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, that could lead to the child being ostracized by their family. Maybe you've heard of honor killings. It happens. I think Martin Lloyd-Jones, the Welsh preacher, says something very wise. Let me quote him to you. For a child to have to stand against a parent is one of the most solemn and serious things we can ever be called to do in this life. So whenever it is done in the name of Christ... And of God. It should be done with a broken heart. We must not fail to give our parents the impression that it is hurting us and causing us grief and costing us much that we would not cut off our right hand in order to avoid it, but that we have no choice in the matter. I think that's very wise. That yes, we have to make sure that there's no room for compromise. It's not that the, the Christian child is being pigheaded, but this really is a choice between parents and the Lord. And if that truly is the case, then we have to remember the, the demands of the Lord Jesus. That's what I was thinking about when I was praying earlier on. This total allegiance that Jesus demands. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, said Jesus. And he even warns that the gospel will divide families. Mark 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now you can say that's exaggerated language, but don't miss the point. That the allegiance the gospel demands will sometimes force us apart from those we love the most. It's a very solemn thing. So all that said, the child-parent relationship is another way for us to express our love for the Lord. And like every other relationship, it should be infused with the spirit of holiness. The spirit of holiness. Proverbs 1 verses 8 and 9. Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Children, obey your parents in the Lord.
for this is right. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, as we bow before you, some of us here have cause to give you so much thanks for the Christian example of our parents who made it easy for us to obey them. And even as parents ourselves, we can see how our own parents brought us up wisely and in the faith. Lord God, whatever has been left to us by way of legacy, there is no richer legacy than that of following Jesus. Lord God, there are others here whose parents were not believers. And in a sense, we have gone against their wishes. And it was hard. It was hard. But Father God, we give you thanks that your Holy Spirit has enabled us still to honour our parents while following Jesus. Tonight we want to pray for anyone we know who finds themselves in that difficult situation where there is a choice between parents and Jesus. And we ask, dear Lord, that in your grace and in your mercy you would soften the hearts of those parents who are trying to put a barrier up, trying to hold that Christian woman, Christian man back. Lord God, grant in such a situation the faith and the courage to follow your will, to follow Jesus. And Lord God, for those of us who still have children, whatever age they are too, we pray for them. Indeed, we pray for them. And likewise, O oh Lord, for those of us who still have parents alive, we pray for them too, O oh Lord, for your blessing to be upon them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.